0: The year is 1938 and the world is in existential crisis. Adolf Hitler takes complete control of the German military and political establishments and marches into Austria. The Empire of Japan wages a terrifying bombing campaign in its attempt to conquer China. People around the world are still struggling to recover from the Great Depression that shook their financial stability and feelings of self-worth. And that year, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to Thornton Wilder's Our Town, a deceptively simple drama about life and death in a small New England town. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to all the drama a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Poetser Prize for Drama. Our Town may be the most familiar title on the entire list of poets or winners. That's probably because so many of us saw the play or performed in it during high school. According to Dramatics Magazine, it was one of the top three plays produced in schools around the country right through the last decade and its author, Thornton Wilder, may be the most versatile writer I talk about in this entire series. Five years after winning the Pulitzer for Our Town, Wilder would win it again for the play The Skin of Our Teeth, but we'll get to that one in a future episode. Wilder is also the only person to have won Pulitzers for both drama and fiction. His novel, the Bridge of San Luis Rey won the fiction prize in 1928. The book told the stories of five people who die when they happen to be on a bridge that collapses, and it was the best selling novel of that year. But not all of Wilder's work deals with death. In 1954, he wrote the play The Matchmaker, which would later be turned into the musical Hello, Dolly. Our town is famously set in a New Hampshire town called Grover's Corners. So you might think that Wilder grew up in a similar place, but that's not the case. Although Wilder was born in Madison, Wisconsin in 1897, where his father, like the character Mr. Webb in Our Town owned and edited the local newspaper, young Thornton didn't have a small town America childhood. When he was nine, his father was named the U.S. Representative to Hong Kong and moved his wife and five children to China. They lived there for the next six years until they moved back to the States where Thornton finished high school in Berkeley, California. He started college at Oberlin, but transferred to Yale. There he wrote stories, essays, and plays for the Yale Literary Review. After graduating in 1920, he taught at a boys' school while continuing his writing. He published the award-winning The Bridge of San Louis Rey* in 1927 when he was just 31. Wilder's name often gets left out when people talk about the major American playwrights like Eugene O'Neill, Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, or August Wilson. But Wilder was a major cultural figure in his day. He hung out with the Lost Generation Literary set in Paris and developed a close and lifelong friendship with Gertrude Stein. Back here in the U.S., he moved in theatrical circles, becoming plays with such Broadway names as Katherine Cornell, Raymond Massey, Ruth Gordon, and Helen Hayes. But although fascinated by the theater world, Wilder was unhappy with the contemporary American plays he was seeing. So he became more serious about writing his own, starting with one acts, moving up to full plays, and working on several at a time. The one that began consuming most of his attention was initially called M. Mary's Inn, and then Our Village, and finally Our Town. It centers around two neighboring families, the Gibbs and the Webbs, and their children, George and Emily, who fall in love. But it also chronicles the day-to-day activities of all the residents of Grover's Corners, delivering milk, going to choir practice, gossiping about the town drunk, and it celebrates the major moments in their lives, marriage, childbirth, death. The story may have been conventional, but the way Wilder structured it was radically different for the time. He insisted on no sets, no props. The actors were to mime things like drinking a glass of milk. He refused to establish any real conflict in the play's three acts. And the final act takes place largely in a graveyard where the dead comment on the living he also created a central character he called the stage manager, who broke the fourth wall by speaking directly to the audience and narrating much of the action. In an essay he later published in the New York Times, Wilder said he wanted the play to explore, quote, the relation between the countless unimportant details of our daily life on the one hand and the great perspectives of time, social history, and current religious ideas on the other. And he was convinced that he was the man who could do it. I can no longer conceal from you that I'm writing the most beautiful little play you can imagine, Wilder wrote his friend Gertrude Stein when he had finished just the first two acts. When it opened, however, the finished play received mixed reviews but the influential New York Times critic, Brooks Atkinson, championed our town. He wrote that by stripping the play of everything that is not essential, Mr. Wilder has given it a profound, strange, unworldly significance. First lady and frequent theatergoer, Eleanor Roosevelt didn't agree. I am glad I saw it, she reported in her syndicated newspaper column but I did not have a pleasant evening. Nevertheless, the show ran for a then respectable 336 performances. And despite the mixed reviews, when the stock and amateur rights for Our Town were released the next year, there were over 600 productions in the U.S. in just the following two years. Now, in 2021, Theaters across the country, both big regional ones and small community groups, are staging the play as their first production when they return from the hiatus forced by the pandemic. Among them was the Peterborough Players in the New Hampshire town that is home to the McDowell Colony, the artist retreat where Wilder often worked. Peterborough likes to boast that it is the model for Grover's Corners, and the players have done the show eight times since 1940, most recently this past August. The play has been revived on Broadway three times, in 1969 with Henry Fondes, the stage manager, in 1988 with Spalding Gray, and in 2002 with Paul Newman but its most notable run may be the production directed by David Cromer that began in Chicago and moved to New York in 2009, where it played for a year and a half with a rotating cast of stage managers that included Helen Hunt, Michael Shannon, and originally Cromer himself. It also had a coup de théâtre in the final scene that people are still talking about. I love that production, but I have to admit that I've always been ambivalent about our town. Maybe it's because I only got cast as one of the silent dead people in the graveyard in my high school production, or maybe it's because the turn of the last century small town life it portrays seems so far removed from my own, but my friend Howard Sherman spent a couple of years exploring the play's contemporary relevance and writing about that in his book, Another Day's Begun, Thornton Wilder's Our Town in the 21st Century. And so I was delighted that Howard agreed to talk with me about it and about why our town truly remains our town. Hi, Howard. Welcome to Broadway Radio. Hello, Jan. Glad to have you here. I'm really excited to talk to you about the contemporary relevance of our town. But before we do that, I want to go back a bit and ask, do you remember the very first time you saw our town and what you thought of it? I'm fairly
1: certain that the first time I saw it was at the Longworth Theater in 1988. And I thought it was fine but I was not knocked out by it, uh, even though it had the great Hal Holbrook playing the stage manager. Hmm.
0: So then what drew you back and made you want to write a book about
1: it? Well, I look at it as a bit of a process. I think it probably had its genesis first in seeing David Cromer's production, which the first time I saw it, I admired enormously because I understood what he'd done with it. But it was the second time that I saw it, when Michael McKeon had gone in as the stage manager, and that time it just floored me emotionally. Hmm. And I came to realize that that had more to do with me than with the play. What do you mean? My good friend Mike Kershwara, who was the Broadway critic for the AP and feature writer, had passed away probably eight or nine weeks before I saw the play the second time. And and that loss was very fresh. And I think the play provoked me to think more about that loss mm-hmm. uh, and whether I had fully appreciated and understood how important Mike was to me. And so I was projecting. And I think the same thing happened to a degree, When I saw the play a few years later in a production at Sing Sing Correctional Facility, there's no question my emotions were heightened because I had never been to a prison, let alone a maximum security prison. Uh, But it also was within a year of my dad passing away, Hmm. which remained very, very raw for me. And I I think the play in its spareness affords each audience member or perhaps forces each audience member to consider what they are or are not appreciating what they have had, what they may have lost in their lives. So I think my real appreciation of the play began there. It's not that I said in those moments, hey, I should write a book about this. I didn't even think about writing a book about it. Until an editor at Methuen said, have you ever thought about writing a book? And then I started racking my brain for ideas. But there's no question that my relationship to Our Town must have, have truly begun with, with those two productions.
0: When you think back, look back what do you think it was that the Pulitzer Board recognized in the play? And I ask this because as I was doing some research, I saw that there were a lot of plays in that 1938 1939 period that were dealing with death or dealing with faith, dealing with some of the same issues that our town was, and yet. This was the one, what do you think it was that made it stand above the others i I wouldn't
1: presume to know the minds of the Pulitzer Board in <laughs> nineteen thirty eight save to say that it was a play which had been very well received uh, but not unanimously well received in its in its initial outing and that clearly, some people recognize not just its quality as a work of theater, but specifically as a work of literature. Our Town is a play which I don't think achieves its full uh, potential unless it's performed. But but there is a lot to mine in the play, and if you just read it and just look at it, you you can get a lot of it. And it's real competition that year. If you look at at what were were the plays, yes, there were plays about mortality. Yes, there were plays on any about religion, on any number of issues. But it was it was really sort of, Our Town and Of Mice and Men. Of Mice and Men won the New York Drama Critics Circle Award over Our Town, pretty overwhelmingly when you look at the votes. While both plays have last. I think we're finally seeing the diminishment of, of, of Mice and Men because of its, its rather archaic treatment of disability. And whereas our town is still dealing with very simple fundamentals. This is the way we were in our growing up and in our marrying, and in our living, and in our dying. And those, at least three out of four, are things that most people experience. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, even the line about marrying can take on more resonance now, because uh, we have same-sex marriages in a way that we did not. And that is no longer excluded. So in a way, our town continues to open itself up. I just have to credit the the Pulitzer board for seeing that this was a work that could last.
0: Right from the beginning, though, it um, was done by little theater groups, by college groups, by high school. Why do you think it was so instantly adapted and continues to be performed by those groups. Well, I think it is performed
1: across all manner of, of theatrical production. Yes, it's widely done in schools and community groups, but it is done by major professional theaters year in and year out in, in the wake of the pandemic. We already have four major regional theaters, the Oslo, the Shakespeare Theater in D.C., uh, Dallas Theater Center, and South Coast Rep have all announced the play for next year. I do think that for schools or for community groups, it it does have a benefit that few plays have, which is it's specifically written to be done without a set. And that is a money saver, that is a convenience, that is a simplicity that some schools will find advantageous. As more recent productions have proven, you don't even need to do, and in some cases perhaps shouldn't do, old-timey costumes. This play comes across if people just come in wearing jeans and T-shirts. That the 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 message of the play is not in its visuals, it is in its thoughts and in its emotions. And that lends itself to any theater space, any age or group or class of performers. It's infinite possibilities and infinite is an idea that our town grapples with constantly. Uh, make it make it very producible. Having just seen it at the Peterborough Players in a production played on a platform at 5.30 in the afternoon in, in the town that is believed to be the template for Grover's Corners, it didn't need lighting, it didn't need to be enclosed in order for the play to come across.
0: You mentioned earlier that you were very moved by a production at Sing Sing. How did it come about that you were at that production?
1: There is only one public performance of each of the shows done by Rehabilitation Through the Arts at Sing Sing and at other correctional facilities in the Hudson Valley where they work. I went because. Someone with whom I become friendly via Twitter, Kate Powers, was directing the production. And the totality of that experience, going up to Austin, going inside of a prison, watching this play, watching how this play resonates when it is performed by an almost entirely entire cast of incarcerated men, with the exception of a handful of roles, it was one of the most extraordinary theater experiences I've ever had. Hmm. And, and I came away from it. I came away from it changed. Changed in my thinking. Changed in the ideas of the possibility of theater. And considering that I'd already spent uh, the previous 30 plus years of my life as a deeply passionate, Almost habitual uh, or addicted theater goer, um, that that I could have that kind of response was was pretty powerful, and it was a privilege, uh, and I it was a great benefit to me. Obviously, uh, going six or seven years later to sit with these men and talk to them about their experience of doing this play, let me tell you these men understand this play and understand aspects of our town in a way, and it's not a way that I would wish on anyone, but in a way that I think few people can. Hmm.
0: Hmm. One of the things that I was really struck by in your book were the productions that I suppose we would characterize as non-traditional. Those like the one at Sing Sing, those that tried to be more inclusive, uh, I guess in one, uh, the Webbs and the Gibbs were uh, Spanish-speaking, Creole-speaking, in addition, obviously, to speaking English, uh, but from those traditions. Is that the future for the show? Is it elastic enough, malleable enough to be inclusive in this way?
1: I believe so, and I think incredible credit is due to Tappan Wilder, who oversees his uncle's play uh, for the Wilder family, and he's been an extraordinary steward of the play. But he has also, unlike many people who run literary estates, he has not required that the play be trapped in amber and that it must be done precisely as People imagine it was done back in nineteen thirty eight. Tappan has has supported the idea that the play needs to live, and I think that's had an enormous positive effect on again to that question you asked earlier, why does the play go on? Why this play? And I think um, whether it is the production you were alluding to, which used both Creole and Spanish, which was M- Miami New Drama in 2017, whether it's the Deaf West production, also that same year, which mixed American Sign Language, uh, and, and English, which are two separate languages. There are ways to do this play, whether the changes are visual, whether the changes are in who might be cast in the play, whether the changes are in who, who might be seeing the play, uh, have have allowed it um, a great deal of latitude to speak to many different people in many different ways, and I think the play gets a false bad rap as being a play that a is longing for the past because the play itself is constantly reminding you of the march of time and be a play that must always be set in the past. David Cromer made a really interesting comment. He said, you know, in 1938, when the play was new, it was set in 1901, 1905, 1913. It was the past, but it wasn't the distant past. So when we, when the play is done now, must, the play be now about an antique past or should directors be grappling with the idea that yes perhaps it's it's looking back but it was only looking back 30 years when it was written it was not looking back almost a hundred years
0: I that makes me wonder if Wilder were writing the play today that small town life has changed lots of people have abandoned small towns or if there are small towns they're not dealing perhaps as much with the town drunk as with opioid use someone like the choir master who there's a subtext of his homosexuality might be more open do you think that that wilder would be grappling with that I would
1: never presume to know Thornton Wilder's mind, but we can look, I mean, in the cursory work that I did, looking at earlier versions, drafts of the play. What I found fascinating was that it seems that Wilder kept taking things out. He kept and in this when I say taking things out, taking specifics out, taking details out. He kept opening up the play. And even though there's such specificity in things like a particular system of breeding chickens, the Philo system is still there in the play, and we can all be mystified by what that is. <laughs> though I did look it up. It's real. It's not something he invented. That's not what the play is about. It's never been about those details, except to the extent that when we hear about a self-filling uh, trough for drinking trough for the animals, when we hear about the progression of cars starting to outnumber the horses on Main Street, we are reminded that even small towns were changing. And so how he might have brought those changes or what he might have chosen to represent, were he writing today, I'm convinced that yes, he might have talked about going from landlines to cell phones, but but again, this is not about technology. It's about appreciating the little things in life, the small moments, and the fact of the matter is, the birds still do sing and the sun still does come up and gardens do still smell beautiful and French toast, still a good breakfast. <laughs> and, and people still get married and fear marriage even as they move towards it. And while people may, we may lose people much too young uh, and the reasons why we lose people much too young may be different, the loss still hurts as much and still makes us question as much what we do with our life while we have it and whether we appreciate it while we're experiencing it in its fullest.
0: Yeah, those are eternal questions. And I think the fact that the play does ask them means that uh, it's going to continue to be around for a a long time to come. Yeah,
1: I mean, we're we're at an interesting time right now where in theatre there's a lot of questioning about what the repertory has been, Mm -hmm. what voices were not able to be heard, what voices will be heard going forward. And I completely understand why there are people out there who might want to Debate the relevancy of our town. And and I'm not going to make a declarative statement about why it is or is not still relevant. But suffice it to say, I think that the things that are at the core of it, when you really remove all the specificity about the people and the things, I think those remain the concerns of philosophers and artists. And religions today.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Howard, for uh, talking to uh, to us about it. I have to say, it's not been um, one of my favorite plays, but talking to you about it makes me actually want to see it again. So, so thanks, thanks for that. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway radio podcasts. And if you aren't already doing so, that you'll consider making a contribution to support our work, which you can do at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.